Uh, we'd love to have them be part of our Vine Kids Time. Uh, middle school age, fifth, sixth, seventh-ish, uh, we have a great opportunity out in our foyer there where we have all kinds of stuff going on for you guys as well and girls. Uh, we'd love for you all to be a part of what's happening with our kids' ministry. It's exciting stuff, and it's a great time to be part of this church. We're actually having our, um, our sort of our child dedication Sunday coming up here in a few weeks, and so that's going to be really fun because I haven't done one in a while, and we've had a lot, a lot of babies since then. And so we'll get you the exact date on that. But that's coming up at the end of this month, and so that'll be really fun to see all of our families get up and look at sort of how our families have grown in this past um, past year. So that's very, very good stuff. So uh, this Sunday today actually marks uh, one year that we have been in the Gospel of John. So for one year, we have been marching through verse by verse this gospel, this story that is sort of unlike any others, right? We're in week 42, and we have looked at each of these sort of major milestones and pieces, but we've also examined the little verses that go along with it. We have walked completely through the, almost the first 11 chapters of John's gospel this year. We've learned a lot of things, but what we've talked about constantly is how different John's gospel is than the others, that John is uninterested necessarily in telling the history of the life of Jesus, but more a theological argument for the incarnation. John's entire goal, as we've seen systematically from John 1.1 through the end of chapter 10, has been that he wants you and I, he wants us to see that Jesus is in fact God. Right? That Jesus is just not some traveling rabbi wandering around the Judean countryside doing cool things. But he is, in fact, God in the flesh who loves you and who has come to rescue and redeem humanity. Right, That he is eternal life. That's the picture of John's gospel. And so we've examined that from top to bottom, and we've led ourselves almost halfway through the book. And if you remember a year ago, those of you that were here, and I kind of explained the layout of John's gospel, it's really broken into two main sections that theologians call the book of signs and the book of glory. And the book of signs is chapters 1 through 12, and it's John laying out the picture through Jesus' miracles and wonders that he is, in fact, divinely God, right? And the second part, the book of glory, is actually wrapped up in just a few days. So all nine chapters take place in just a couple of days of the life of Christ as Jesus takes on a pastoral nature and begins to work diligently with the disciples, uh, deeply with them, talking about servanthood. He washes their feet. He instructs them about what life's going to be like when he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. And then ultimately the book of glory leads us into the last few days of the life of Christ. But all of those chapters, take place in about five-day or a six-day time period. And so we have worked through quite a few years to get where we are uh, in terms of history and time, all so that we can spend in the upcoming weeks over the just one week in the life of Christ. And so you'll start to see this book transitioning. Talked about it a few weeks in a row. We are stepping out of the contentious debates that Jesus is having with the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, and into more of a pastoral nature that he's going to uh, kind of begin to take on with his own disciples. And, and chapter 11 is sort of the bridge between these two moments where Jesus is no longer just at odds with the Pharisees, but he is now deeply entwined relationally with people, and, and John is going to begin to examine those relationships. Brandon preached last week, and he introduced us to this story that we're going to take four weeks to kind of get through. 
And it's a story that most of us have heard of. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead, right? It's that incredible miracle by which Jesus takes his dear friend Lazarus, who he loves, and he raises him from the dead. But what surrounds that miracle is really really incredible. And Brandon introduced us to the first uh, sort of 11 verses or so, or the first 15 verses, I can't remember exactly which, but introduced us to the idea that Lazarus had died. He was a dear friend of Jesus. He had died and that Jesus and his disciples were going to return to the area of Judea, even though it was dangerous for them to go back there because they had just almost been stoned to death. Even though it was dangerous, they were going to return to be with Mary and Martha, who he also loved, Lazarus' sisters, and that Lazarus... Uh, sickness was not going to end in death, even though Lazarus had already died. And, and Brandon examined that picture of us uh, for us. And this morning, we're going to pay attention to Jesus' uh, distinct encounter with Martha. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus' distinct encounter with Mary. And then we're going to actually put our fingers into the miracle itself as we wrap up uh, chapter 11 or towards the end of that. So that's kind of where we are. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at the personal nature of what unfolds when Jesus encounters Lazarus' sister, Martha, who he dearly loves and who is in the middle of deep and true grief. So if you've got your Bible, let's open up to John chapter 11, verse 17, and then we will um, we'll pray, and then we'll just sort of dive in. Lord, we thank you for the fact that your word is timeless, that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even the dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. You tell us, God, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Your word is alive. It is a word for us today as much as it was a word for those that read it 2,000 years ago. Father, it holds all authority. We do not take an encounter with your word lightly. We believe an encounter with your word is actually an encounter with you, that you have penned it and you have breathed life into us, into it, that it is the very breath of God. And so, Lord, this morning as we gather and we open up this story in John, we're not looking at a mere story of history, but we're looking at your life breathed out for each of us. So, Lord, we need you to teach us. We need you to reveal truth to us. We need you to speak directly to us. Take a moment in your heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Maybe this is a story you've heard a hundred times and just ask the Lord to teach your heart something new about his character or his nature. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or around you. Pray that God would move in them. Remember, each week is not just about you. We want to be a community that prays for people, and so pray that God would move in the people around you, even if you don't know their name, just, just pray for them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we turn our morning over to you. We ask that you would be glorified, and we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, the resurrection our Savior, and our Redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has fled Jerusalem, not so much fled because of he was trying to get away, but more so because the hostility had risen to such an incredible height that Jesus took the disciples outside of Jerusalem and they went back to the original area where John the Baptist had been baptizing. And they were 
teaching and people were gathering around him. And, and John tells us that many people were coming to know and have faith in Christ. And the area of Jerusalem was incredibly hostile to Jesus. The last time he was there, the Pharisees were so angry, they picked up rocks to literally beat him to death, to stone him to death. And so Jesus left under that sort of contentious hotbed of worldly anger. And he went out into the countryside where he's teaching and people are coming to him and he's healing their sick. And he's sort of drawing people into his presence while Jerusalem boils over with anger and hatred because of Jesus' claims to deity. And so we leave chapter 10 and the arguments that he'd been having with the Pharisees about the man that was healed from blindness. You may remember all those stories. And he goes back out into Bethany and Jerusalem is just on fire with anger, anger for Jesus. The, the religious leaders want him dead. And they want him dead, not just because he's a threat to their way of life, but because Jesus has claimed, in fact, to be God. Um, and they are having no part of it. Well, Jesus is out in the countryside and receives word. And Brandis, Brandon worked us through this all last week that his good friend Lazarus, who lived in the village of Bethany, which was just a few miles from Jerusalem, was actually really ill. And his disciples were like, we, you know, you love Lazarus. And Jesus was like, it's not going to end in death. We're going to be okay, but we're going to go and see Lazarus. And his disciples were like, we're not going back to Jerusalem. They tried to kill you there. Like, that's a terrible idea. And Jesus basically says, well, he's not actually going to die. And the disciples say, well, if he's not going to die, then we're definitely not going back. And Jesus says, no, we're going. And I want you to see what God is going to do. It's going to be incredible. And then Thomas, who kind of gets a bad rap because he's the doubter, says, listen, if he's going, we're all going. We'll just die with him. And so they begin the walk from where they are, several day walk all the way towards Bethany in the middle of Judea, where the, the anger was boiling over against Jesus to meet and to see Lazarus, who is officially at this point in time dead. And so let's pick up in verse 17 and we'll read down through uh, that encounter. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss for their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now even whatever you ask of God will be given to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said to him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. So we're looking at this story from a couple of different, couple of different angles. Brandon ex explored it from Jesus' interaction with the disciples last week. And, and this week, we're going to look at it from his very intentional, very heartfelt encounter with Martha. It's going to be a very similar encounter, but different in a few ways with his encounter with Martha, Mary, which we'll look at next week. And then we're going to see Jesus' encounter with Lazarus, who is fully dead. And, and I wanted to look at them all together and kind of do three weeks in one. But the reality is it just... We just need to look at these things in their parts because they're really emotional and they're very true. And I think there's a lot of profound truth, not only in Martha and Mary's response to Jesus, but in the way that Jesus interacts with them. And I think it speaks to where a lot of us, well, where I am, I have no idea where you are, but where I am. 
But this is sort of what's happened. Jesus and his disciples head back towards Jerusalem into the area of Judea. So Judea is the area that surrounds, it's a region, surrounds Jerusalem, and it's hostile towards Jesus because the Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders are all there. That's where they congregate in Jerusalem, and they live right around the surrounding area, and they all hate Jesus and want him dead. And so the disciples reluctantly kind of go with him, following him back into this hotbed of activity. But Jesus, of course, is not worried because he's Jesus, right? And he's not concerned what humanity will do to him. And he arrives outside of the village of Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. He arrives there, and we learn that as he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days, What that means is that Lazarus is really dead, which is a central part to this whole story. If Lazarus was merely not dead or sleeping and Jesus raised him, well, that's really not so great, right? That's just kind of woke him up. So if Jesus just woke Lazarus up from sleep, we don't really have a miracle. We just got Jesus waking up a sleeping guy, right? Which is not near as cool. But he is dead and he's been dead for four days. And Eastern religion and some rabbinical teaching held that when someone died, their soul would leave them and hover around the physical body for three days. And after the third day, that that soul could not return to the body. It's just sort of part of an Eastern religion picture. So what we get tied in there is that after four days, Lazarus was really dead. In fact, when we get into two weeks and Jesus says, I want you to open the tomb so I can go in and see him, the sisters are going to say, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. You, you, you don't want to go in there. Like it's, it's going to smell. Like that's how serious this really was. Like Lazarus was really, really dead. And so when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, right, and Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we have this deep relationship with them. We'll explore some of those a little later on, but he loved them. And the and scriptures really tells us a lot about their relationship. When they heard that Jesus was coming, she got up where she was and she went out and met him on the road. Right? So I don't know if you remember the story in Luke, the Mary and Martha story, where, where Jesus and his disciples show up and, and Martha's bustling all around the house trying to get everything ready. And, and Mary just goes in and sits at Jesus' feet, right? And then Martha's really mad and she looks at Jesus, she's like, Will you tell her to help me? Right? Like, will you tell her to help me? I mean, here I am doing all these preparations, and she's just sitting at your feet. And you remember the encounter where Jesus looks at Martha, and he says, listen, Martha, don't get mad at Mary. She's chosen the one thing that matters. Right? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. We have these pictures of their interaction, and, and this time it's Martha that hears Jesus is coming, and she goes out to him on the road. And when she gets to Jesus, right, she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And as I read that statement, and it's actually going to be the exact same statement that Mary makes next week. She's going to say the exact same thing. But as I read that statement, I thought, there's ever been a a sort of a more pregnant statement in Scripture, right? Something that meant so much more than the words that were just on the page. This has got to be it. Because essentially what she's saying to Jesus is, you could have stopped this. That if you, Jesus, Lord, my friend, would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She deeply believed that Jesus had the ability to heal her brother's sickness. And she believed that if Jesus would have been standing there and would have seen how sick Lazarus was, he would have saved his life. And so she goes out to him on the road and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And as I read that statement, I thought, there have been times in my life where I wanted to look at Jesus and yell this at him. Why did you let this happen? 
If you would have been here, or if you would have shown up, or if you would have just done something, we wouldn't have had to walk through what we walked through. That's what's wrapped up in Martha's heart. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died, and she was certain of that. She believed with everything that she was that Jesus, if he would have been standing there, would have saved her brother's life and saved her heart from agony. I think at some point in time, every one of us, if we're really truthful, has been there with the Lord. God, why? Why did this happen? Why am I walking through this? Why is nothing getting better? Like we've had those moments where we've just wanted to say, Lord, if you would have done something, which I know you could have done and didn't, this wouldn't have happened. And Martha's statement is just so stinking real. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And then she follows that up with this statement. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So she says, if you'd have been here, you could have saved him. But here's the thing. I still believe you can. I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. So she has this statement where she, she sort of yells almost emotionally at the Lord, right? Like, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But she follows it up with a statement of deep and real trust. But I know that even now, you can still do something incredible. That's essentially what she's saying. I know that you can still do it because God hears you, because I believe in you. And Jesus said to her, right, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, I believe all that. I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. In other words, she alludes to it and says, I know that there will be a day that you have talked about where you will raise those from the dead. And I know that he will be with you. I hear that. But that is not solving my hurt and my pain right now. Boy, most of us believe that, right? Like, I know there's going to be a day where Jesus returns. Scripture is so clear on that. And then he's going to wipe away every tear. And there'll be no more hurt. And there'll be no more pain. And there'll be no more struggle. But that day is not today because my heart is breaking. And so she says to Jesus, I know that he will rise again. I believe that you are who you say you are. I know he will rise again on that day. And Jesus stops her almost mid-sentence. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks right at her and he says, do you believe this? Right, Because you've already proclaimed that you believe that I still can, but do you believe what I'm telling you about who I am? No, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? And she says, and probably the, the most clear and most profound, right, statement about Jesus that we see in Scripture made besides the one that Peter says. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So do you believe that I am the resurrection, that I am more than what will happen on the last day? And she makes this just incredibly profound proclamation. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ means the one that was foretold, the Messiah, the one that has come, the Son of God. 
The story is incredible because we want so deeply to get onto the miracle. We read the story and we want to get to where Lazarus is. In fact, it's all jumbled into this one story about the raising of Lazarus because that's the incredible nature of it, right? Like Jesus walks in, there's a dead guy in the tomb for four days and in two weeks, or as we'll see in two weeks, he's going to raise Lazarus and that's the miracle moment and that's the sort of flag-waving banner moment. But we miss the reality and the depth and the truth and the cries that are tied to true, real human hurt that are wrapped up in Martha's statement and in Jesus' interaction with her. Now, here's the thing that I believe. I believe that most of us have gathered here today, and we don't have a whole lot of problems with the things that Jesus has done. Like, we don't have problems believing in those. I mean, after all, you got up on a Sunday morning and you made it here, which means for some reason or some rhyme, you decided that you were going to come to a place that was going to acknowledge that Jesus has done some pretty remarkable things, including being raised from the dead. And it's not the things that Jesus does that stump most of us. Like I believe that, I don't have a whole lot of trouble believing that he fed 5,000 or that, that maybe Jesus healed some people or that maybe even the story of Lazarus is, is true and Jesus raised him from the dead. I believe we believe the things about God and I believe we believe that God can do things. But the struggle that most of us have is this, what do we believe about who Jesus said he actually was? And it doesn't seem like there should be much disconnect, but there actually is a lot of disconnect in the human heart. Because it's easier for us to believe a few things happened than it is for us to believe the claim that Jesus makes about himself. Because the claim that Jesus makes about himself will have to change our life. It's not hard to believe a few actions, but if we truly believe that Jesus said what he said to Martha, then it changes how we live. And that's where most of us get hung. I want to believe in a God that does miraculous things, and when I call upon his name, he'll do miraculous things for me. But I don't want to believe in a God that's going to cost the way that I live or cost me everything. And so the disconnect is not that we don't believe that Jesus did things, but that most of us wrestle with, do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Because if I truly believe that, it's going to change me. But Martha's statements to Jesus are really powerful and emotional, right? Because they're, they're the statements that most of us have wanted to make but have been afraid to. But Martha's statements are real and powerful because they're tied to truth. So she makes these claims. She says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, which every one of us in here at some point in time is made to God in some form or fashion. But the beauty of Martha's statement is it's tied and anchored to a trust that is bigger than her question. So her question is, if you would have been here, right? He wouldn't have died. But the question is actually anchored to a statement of trust. I believe, though, that you can still do anything. And that anchor is also tied to the profound truth of what she believes about Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. So Martha's question, although deeply raw and emotional, is incredible because it's tied to a statement of trust and belief which is anchored to what she believes about Jesus. And it's what makes Martha's statement kind of a place where I wish my heart would always be. Jesus, I don't understand what is going on or why this is happening or why I am hurting so much, but I believe so deeply that you are a God who still loves me and I trust you because you are Jesus, the Son of God. Do you see the difference in that statement? Then God, where are you? end of statement. 
Martha's statement is anchored in a deeper belief that she still is holding on to the fact that Jesus is who he said he is, and she believes that with the very core of her being, which makes her cry to God so powerful. Because even feeling those things that she does and knowing those things she does about Jesus, she still hurts. You are allowed to hurt as a follower of Christ. You are allowed to have your heart broken. You are allowed to question God. You are allowed to have crisis of belief. You are allowed to lob your questions at the God who can handle all of our questions. And I want you to hear me say that because most of us are petrified of that. We think that by somehow having these hurts or questions or fears or even doubts, that somehow our faith, right, that God is going to expose our faith and he's going to say, see, I knew you really didn't believe. But what Jesus says to Martha is really, really incredible, right? He says, look, Martha, I know you're hurting, but your brother will rise again. And she says, no, I know he will. I know that you're coming back. I believe in you, right? And Jesus says, Martha, listen to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And he who dies, right, will believe in me. Or he who dies will never, or he who lives will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus basically says to Martha is, I hear you crying out in hurt. And I want you to know that your brother's going to be okay. But more importantly than that, I want you to, to really trust me. I am the resurrection and I am the life. In John alone, Jesus makes some of the most incredible statements about who he is, right? Just in where we've been. He says, I am the light. I am the gate. I am the true shepherd. I am the vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. These are just things that Jesus says about himself. And here he says, I am the resurrection. Jesus doesn't comfort Martha by saying, Martha, look, it's going to be okay. In a couple of days, I'm going to do something so amazing that your brother is going to walk out of the tomb. Please don't be sad. He doesn't meet her with the answer to her deep cry. He meets her with the reality of who he is, which is, Martha, I am bigger than all of this. I am the resurrection. It's not an event. It's a person. Do you believe this? And he asks her that question. And that question is really powerful because I believe that God asks each of us that same question, which is, Treb, even dealing with the things that you deal with or having the doubts that you have or the fears that you have, do you believe that I am who I say I am? And every time in my moments of doubt and fear and unclarity and struggle, I believe that Jesus asks my heart the same question, which is, do you believe me? Man, and every part of me longs to have the response that Martha has, right? Which is, yes, Lord, I believe that you are Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the one. That's her response. In other words, what Jesus says to her is, do you trust me? Even in the middle of your heartache, and you're hurt. Do you trust me? And it's why it makes Martha's question so valid. Because she's questioning with a, a, a real hurt and broken heart, but with an attachment of trust anchored to a belief in who Jesus is. That's why it doesn't matter if we believe that Jesus did miracles. It really doesn't matter what you believe that Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000, or if you believe Jesus really raised Lazarus. It really doesn't matter. What, believe, what matters is, do you believe the claims that Jesus makes about himself? 
And he's asking you and he's asking me the exact same question he asks Martha, which is, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. That he who believes in me will never die. And he who dies, right, will live. He basically says, Martha, this is both for you and Lazarus, right? Listen to how that plays out. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's for Lazarus. Even though Lazarus dies, he believed in me and and he will live. And he's not just talking about physically, but he's going to do that, which is incredible. But he's saying, though, even though he died, he's going to have true life, right? That's what Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And then he says this to Martha, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives, which is you, Martha, and believes in me will never die. So he says, and that's for you. The incredible thing is that I've got your brother taken care of because he trusted me and he believes in me. He's never going to die. And I've got you taken care of because you trust and believe in me as well. And what Jesus is basically saying is whether he is living or dead, there's an eternal promise that waits for you because of who I am. Do you believe that I am more than just the actions that I've done? And she says, yes, you are Christ, the Christ, the Son of God. The question that we deal with is, do we believe that Jesus is more than just the sum of his actions that we read in Scripture? Do you believe that he is the God of your life, of your heart, right? That the resurrection is not an event that we get together, to get together and celebrate on Easter once a year with some pageantry and a few extra musicians or whatever it is that churches do. The resurrection is a person. It is a single person, not a single event. The event is not celebrating Jesus one moment of coming out of the grave. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, essentially what he's saying, he's saying, I am life for you. And do you truly believe this? So the question that we have this morning is, do we believe that Jesus is a collection of his greatest miracles? Or do you believe that he's the God that will meet you in the middle of your deepest struggle, is who he says he was, and can provide and will provide true abundant life here on earth, and the promise of eternal life to come? And if so, do you trust him? Do you trust him? In the middle of your greatest questions, fears, failures, achings, longings, hurts, in the God, where were you? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. In the middle of those moments, can you say, but I still believe that you are God? My heart for you, my heart for myself, honestly, is that this is the place that we can come to to have real, honest questions that we can throw out at the Lord, but we're anchored in a deeper trust that he is who he says he is, which is anchored in a belief that he is in fact God. And I would rather put my hope and trust in the God of the universe than whatever I think my little heart needs. If you've got questions this morning, lob them out to the Lord. God, why? God, how? God, when? But anchor them to this truth. I believe Just like Martha said, but I believe that even now, even in the midst of my questions, you are secure and you are Jesus and you can still do incredible things. But more importantly, you are my life and you loved me and you came for me. And no matter what this world hands me, I will forever rest in that truth. You love me and you came for me. And as we read two weeks ago, you will never let me go. And then Jesus, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, does this incredible thing with his disciples where he gives them this symbol, this sign, this activity they get to participate in to remember and remind themselves of those truths. 
that communion, that table, that moment when he sat with his disciples and he, he gives them this expression is a, is a place for you and I to remember that Jesus' death and resurrection is what unites us together and it's what gives promise to our questions. That Jesus is more than a mere collection of miracles, but he is a God that has given his life so that you and I might have true, eternal life. Abundant, real, amazing life. We're going to see this all unfold in the next couple of months as we get into the last week of the life of Jesus. We're going to see Jesus gather with his disciples. We're going to see him draw them in before they even understood what's unfolding. We're going to see him gather with them and eat and share a meal, and he's going to pray over it, and he's going to bless this bread, and he's going to look at them all and say, listen, this bread, right, is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, Jesus takes the cup and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you, that as long as we take this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. This table is not a mere habit that the Christian church engages in, but instead it's a full expression of the greatest truth known to humanity, that the resurrection was an event that the resurrection was a person, that the resurrection is a promise, that the resurrection is an answer in the middle of your most petrifying and real questions. Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says, do you believe and trust me? And Martha's incredible response is, yes, you are the Son of God. I believe that. This morning we are taking communion by means of intinction, which is a fancy way of saying as you come forward or step in the back, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and eat it. Uh, this table is not a denominational table. It's open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. We encourage you that as, you, as the worship team plays, that you just sort of contemplate these truths in your heart, prepare your heart to partake in what God has given us, and then as you feel called to either come to the front or come to the back, uh, take communion, and then remain standing, and we'll close our time in worship together. I invite our servers to come forward this morning.